0: Hello
1: once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, where I finally did it. I finally broke through. I made my fifth ever final table on ACR, and in the first four, I got second place. So it was really fun. (laughs) I won the $15... With a dollar fifty entry fee, seventy five hundred guaranteed uh, daily tournament. It broke the uh, the guarantee. I think the total prize pool was about eighty three hundred, and I cashed for almost sixteen hundred dollars. It felt good. Finally, get first place. As you guys know, when I play poker, I always think about winning. I find second place very disappointing. (laughs) I mean, of course, a day later when you have more money in your account, you're happy. But at the time when I don't actually win, I do feel disappointed. So uh, to have been that close so many times and now finally get number one felt great. Uh, I wanted to share a tweet. I shared my good news with uh, the interwebs on Twitter at Clayton Comic and I got a reply from uh, a presumed listener Rob Raymond his Twitter handle is Rob Raymond 64 and Rob writes congrats Clayton you may have covered this on the podcast but do you think that having another source of income and laddering amounts being not significant relative to your earnings outside of poker are key to your winner-take-all philosophy Rob thank you so much for your question it's a very thoughtful one. And I guess the best I can do to answer this question is to say, I think we should all be playing within our bankrolls. So if you're ever sweating the latter amounts and you know the difference between making eighth place and seventh place would somehow be significant to you, then you're probably playing too high. And you should be playing a smaller stakes buy-in where you can play well. Now, in my case, it's possible, it's very debatable whether or not I play well. Because what I try to do is just identify those players who are overly concerned with ICM and trying too hard to ladder up and just abuse them by betting into them and raising them. And I mean, I've had players fold a set face up to me on the turn in the main event on the bubble. And I really had nothing, but I just know how players are on the bubble. (laughs) I mean, that's the World Series main event, by the way. Uh, Yeah, that really happened. Uh, And then you'll see similar things, but maybe not quite to that ridiculous extent. At the end of the day, all of the profit from poker comes from mistakes that our opponents make. And I think that one thing I'm feeling good about these days with my game is that I'm identifying those mistakes more easily than I used to, and I'm exploiting them at a greater frequency. And so one thing you'll see on ACR is everybody plays kind of wild and loose before the re-entry period ends, and as we've seen many times, that period can be very long in some of these tournaments, and so some players with seemingly unlimited bankrolls will go crazy and put you to the test on pretty much every pot, But then I find that on the bubble and once we get into the substantial money, anything more than maybe 15 times the buy-in, whatever the buy-in happens to be, I've noticed players folding too much. And I think it's because many people have a misunderstanding about what ICM is and how you're supposed to apply it to the principles of playing tournament poker and it's also entirely possible maybe even likely that i also misapply those principles because i generally throw them out the window now don't get me wrong guys if i'm at 7 if if i'm third in chips with seven players left at the final table and there's a player with like half a big blind i'm not going to do anything stupid and go broke before that guy but i think some of the less extreme examples are the ones that i don't pay as much attention to as my opponents and therefore I am able to cause them to make more folding mistakes. Now, maybe the luxury of having the bankroll and also having other income, although these days I don't have much other income as comedy is essentially shut down, uh, I think that that might help me to make those decisions and to play well. But honestly, it's just my natural instincts. I have always played in an exploitative way. So if I think my opponents are prone to certain mistakes, I try to give them as many opportunities as possible to make those exact mistakes. And I've only recently been able to figure out how I can apply this philosophy to the online game where so many players are using HUDs and we'll get to all that later. But uh, I want to thank you guys for all the tweets and all the love uh sharing in my joy of finally winning my first quote unquote title on ACR. So before we get into a few of the hands that I played in this tournament, I want to let you guys know about tournamentpokeredge.com, which is the greatest training website known to man. You can learn from some of the best players and teachers and coaches in the business, talking about Andrew Brokus, The Assassinato, Alex. Fitzgerald, Colin Moshman, and so many more. Over 1,000 videos, an entire curriculum called TPE University, and access to our forums, all for as little as $25 a month with an annual subscription. You guys got to do it. Now is the time. You're at home on lockdown. Go ahead and learn more from the best at tournamentpokeredge.com. Alright, so one thing that I've been getting a feel for is the idea of using a HUD when I play. Even when I was a relatively serious online grinder, and I mean I was playing three or four nights a week, uh, we're talking 15-20 years ago now, of course, in the early days of online poker I guess, Um, I never really used a HUD. So this is really my first time tinkering with this thing, I got something called Holdem Manager Three. Not a sponsor. Uh, I'm not endorsing them. I'm just you know that's the one that I ended up buying. I am learning about how I play. They have a st- they have any kind of stat you could ever possibly want to want to look at. You know, I know what my VPIP is. I know what my win percentage at showdown is. I think win percentage at showdown is a really important stat. So if yours is close to a hundred, that means that. You're getting bluffed a lot. And from what I understand, if your win percentage at showdown is much lower than, say, 50%, that means that you're getting to the river too much and calling too much when you do. So I think you want to have a number right around 50% there. Now, again, I'm not the expert on this. I hope to get one of our pros on to talk about learning from your own HUD uh, as soon as possible. Now, the HUD will also keep track of my opponents, but I'm not really using it uh, in that way. I I'm, I trust my own eyes more. You know, what I see a player doing, just because your HUD stats say one thing, I know that different players play differently in different situations. And so I'm not just going to see, like, especially if it's a small sample, like if I have 50 or 100 hands on somebody, I'm not really going to try to glean any real strategy from that. So when I talk about reads I have on my opponent, believe me, those aren't his HUD stats. Those are uh, my observations about how that player uh, chooses to play his hands. Now, I don't like to play more than five or six tables at a time. And for that reason, I'm able to focus on each game enough to kind of see who the wild ones are, who's playing really nitty tight, and who's somewhere in between. And I make notes on all of my opponents as we go. The reason for that is that I haven't mastered playing like a GTO bot. And I know that if I could just sit down at my computer and be a perfect little GTO robot, I could certainly win in the online game or, and crush any game, really. Because that's the idea of GTO, is you're unexploitable. Instead, I play more trying to find ways to exploit my opponents and also leaving myself open to exploitation in the process. So let's get into a couple of hands here and you guys will see what I mean. Okay, this is pretty early in the tournament. Uh, blinds are 60 and 120. It might be like level three. I'm not really sure. This is a tournament where you start with 10,000 in chips and the blinds last, I believe, 12 minutes. So it's it starts with pretty low blinds and then the antis kick in. It feels a little bit more like a typical daily tournament at your local card room. So... I, we start with 10,000. I have early on, I, I had a few big hands and I ran my stack up to 18,000 early, just got off to that proverbial good start. And then this hand happens, a bad player. I don't know how else to say it, but a loose passive, it seems like a recreational player, I guess you could say, limps in in third position. He's got 9,500 behind, so he calls 120. Uh, we're in the hijack with nine, eight of spades. Now, guys, you can do whatever you want here. If you want to fold this hand, and at many tables, I would probably fold this hand in the hijack. I, I don't know. A lot can go wrong, and we're unlikely to have position after the flop, so it's okay to just fold this hand, especially early on. You know, I have, what is this, 150 times the big blind in my stack already, so I'm I'm not in any, you know, there's no urgency. My M is 100. We're fine, okay? So... Instead, I choose to call. You could also make a case for raising. Like you want to isolate that bad player, put in a little raise, build a pot for in case you flop a big deceptive hand with 9-8 suited. That's totally fine. And I think calling is also fine. So whatever you want to do here, I decide to call this time. Sometimes I will raise. And at tougher tables, I would definitely fold this. Uh, The button raises. So the cutoff folds and then the button makes it six hundred. And 25. So it was 120. He puts in a pretty big raise. And everybody folds to the limper. Now, I'm going to do whatever he does here unless he raises. So what I mean is if the limper folds, my pot odds will be something like 2.2 to 1. And, you know, being out of position, uh, the button's a pretty decent player. Not great, but he's pretty decent. You know, he's only got 8,000 chips behind. It's just not worth it to call With 9 8 suited here. But when the limper calls, now I'm pretty much priced in. Uh, I have a shot at both of these stacks now, and I'm getting 3.3 to 1 express pot odds right now. So I don't think you can fold. That would be really, really too tight for me. So I call and close the action, and the three of us see the flop. With 2200 in the pot, it comes Queen of Hearts, Seven of Hearts. 6 of spades. And remember, Hero holding 9-8 of spades. So I have an open-ended straight draw with a backdoor 9-high flush draw. The limper checks to me and I don't really want to bet here. I, th- I feel like betting here is just weird. I guess I could bet sometimes with this kind of draw if I'm also going to lead into him after one check when I have a set or a really strong hand just to balance. But... Because I'm never doing that, I think this is just an always check. Even if I flopped the world on this, I'm just going to check and see what the original Razor wants to do. I don't mind if he wants to check and give me a free card because I do have a draw to the nuts. Um, I also don't mind if he makes a small bet because I can call a lot of those bets. So I check and the original Razor bets 950 into the 2200 pot. And the limper folds, so now... I'm the last one standing, and I'm getting 3.3 to 1 again, oddly. You know, we're open-ended. We've got the backdoor flush draw. Um, We might even be able to win the pot with an 8 or a 9. So I think this is a pretty trivial call. You could certainly check-raise this. Uh, There's a strong case to be made for playing this hand aggressively. But one reason I didn't is because when this player on the button fires out that continuation bet... Because he did it into two opponents rather than one, I give him a little more credit for a real hand. And also, I just don't think your check raises are getting a lot of folds on a flop like this because it's too easy for him to put me on a draw. I could have hearts. Remember, there are two hearts on the flop. I could have exactly what I have, 9-8. So I didn't go for the check raise here, but if you wanted to, I think that's totally fine. Anyway, I just call, and now the pot is 41 Hundred, and the turn is the jack of clubs now this is not the best card for me the flop was queen of hearts seven of hearts six of spades and now the jack of clubs on the turn and the reason I really don't like this card is because there's still some chance my opponent is sitting there with ace king and if I make a straight with a 10 on the river now it will be the bottom end of the straight so Uh, This Jack of Clubs is not a welcome sight. So I check again. You could lead here if you want to, maybe represent a big hand. Uh, It's totally fine. You could also control the sizing. Like if you think your opponent is likely to bet half the pot and you want to fire like a little less than half the pot to give yourself a better price since you're probably going to call Uh, You you can do all those things. I just decided to check and see what my opponent wants to do. Now, guys, if he makes a really big bet here, I'm probably just going to get out of the hand. I don't know how many clean outs I had. My opponent could have Ace-King, which again nullifies my my 10s as outs. Also, he could have Hearts. So if he has a flush draw, I could make a straight with the card that gives him a flush. So I'm not too excited about my draw. I was a lot more excited about it On the flop. So I check, planning to fold if he makes a sizable bet and call if he makes a small one. Uh, Instead, my opponent checks, and now I think his range is pretty well capped. I think he should have hands like pocket tens, maybe ace king, ace 10, those kind of hands a lot. The river is a six of clubs, pairing the board for a final board of queen, seven, six, jack six with two hearts. So now we reach the river with nine high. And the question becomes, do we want to take a stab at this? We can pretty much guarantee that we can't win this hand unless we bet it. Again, that is not a reason to bet it. It's just a statement of fact. Just because the only way you can win is by betting doesn't mean you shouldn't ever check down and show down nine high. Uh, But the check on the turn emboldened me and made me feel like my opponent was trying to play pot control. I also felt like I could represent a big hand here. I could have a six. I could have a full house. I could have quads. All of these hands are within my range and probably not within my opponent's range here on the river. So if I did have a big hand, I'd probably make a big bet and hope to get called by a queen or better. So, that means when i'm bluffing here because i'm polarized i need to make a sizable bet so i bet 3100 into the 4100 pot and my opponent by the way who started this hand with 8500 now shoves <laughs> for just another 4500 on top so all right so it's a brutal spot Uh, I have to fold. Obviously, I can't call a shove with nine high. And I really got owned. That is one way of looking at it. But I prefer to see it as I had my rationale. I made a good play. It didn't work out. It looks like my opponent was deceptive on the turn. Or perhaps he himself held an ace six suited. Kind of makes sense that, you know, he flopped bottom pair and bet it. And then another overcard hit the turn and he checked it. And then when he makes trips on the river, he raises. Uh, More than likely, he flopped a monster with pocket queens or something like that. It's very hard to actually put a read on him. But I doubt that he could ever be bluffing when I appear to be so pot committed. But remember, when you're bluffing, especially when you're bluffing with a hand like nine high, you're never actually committed to any pot. A while later, our stack was average at 14,000 and the blinds were now 125, 250 with a 30 ante. So obviously that's everyone, not just the big blind. So I got moved to a new table and this table was interesting because some of my opponents were players that I'm actually afraid of. There are a lot of really good players on ACR, even in the $15 buy-in level, there are some players that I just hate to see when I sit down and I had two such players at my table. Only one of them was on my left and the other was on my right. So I'm kind of in between these two good players. Everyone else at my table, though, seems to be rank amateurs, um, making all kinds of bizarre plays and just doing things that I don't know what training site they're on, but it's not TPE. So anyway, uh, you know, we're doing fine. We have an average stack. We don't need to necessarily make things happen, so I'm basically playing for value, getting a feel for my new table, especially with this pretty decent player uh, on my left. He's actually two to my left, and he's someone that I don't really want to mess with. Uh, so I've been sort of kept in check. One really strong opponent on your left can be enough to really change your entire playing style. And no, let me hold him. So it's folded to me in the low jack. And I have the Ace of Hearts, Jack of Diamonds. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about tightening up because I have a good opponent at my table. But look, I'm not going to fold this. We're going to play this hand. So I raise a little bigger than what you might expect. Uh, A a lot of times you'll see basically a min raise. I made it 625. So that is 2.5 times the big blind. And the reason why is I really don't mind taking this down. And I actually want to strongly encourage the uh good player at my table to you know i want to discourage him from getting involved in another pot against me uh so my stack is fourth out of 9 at my table my 14000 the biggest stack at this table is 28000 so that guy's doing great he's got about two times the average and the smallest stack at my table is 9000 just to give you guys a feel for what we're looking at here it folds all the way around to the big blind, who is one of the loose passive calling station types, uh, who I think is just kind of fooling around on a website, not really knowing that much about poker. So I'm happy to play a pot in position against him. He's my only caller. He has 21,000 in his stack. So he's got me covered now with 1645 in the pot. We see a flop ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds, deuce of diamonds so it's all diamonds on the flop and we again have the ace of hearts jack of diamonds so this is a great flop for us we have uh, a top pair with a jack high flush draw when the ace is already out there so unless our opponent happens to hold the king of diamonds or queen of diamonds we are drawing to a winning flush in addition to having top pair so our opponent checks Um, You know, I see no reason not to bet this. I'm not worried about getting check raised, especially because our opponent is very loose, very passive. And I think he can call with worse. He could draw to a flush with even worse than a jack, um, where he'd virtually be drawing dead, especially if he doesn't have a pair yet. So it's well worth it to make a bet that is designed to get action. So we bet half the pot, 825, and our opponent calls and we're pretty happy about this we've got top pair with the jack of diamonds just in case and we're not planning on slowing down anytime soon now with 3300 in the pot the turn comes the five of spades so the four three got there i guess so the flop was a seven deuce all diamonds and now the five of spades on the turn our opponent checks And now I want to make a really large bet here. My reasoning is I'm not worried about a flopped flush. It is very unlikely that our opponent flopped a flush, particularly when we are holding the Jack of Diamonds. Hands like Queen Jack of Diamonds, King Jack of Diamonds, Jack 10 of Diamonds may have all called pre-flop, but he can't have any of those hands because we have the Jack of Diamonds. So I'm really not worried about a flush. Of course, if things start getting hot and heavy, I'm gonna slow down. But for now I am betting for value trying to get called by a worse ace. So I bet 2500 into the 3300 pot and my opponent used his time bank for a while before calling. Now when you see this it sometimes will mean that a player has a monster, right? He's trying to trick me into thinking he has a tough decision but he's actually sitting there with the king queen of diamonds. He's got he flopped the nuts. And now he's just trying to milk me by tricking me. I don't think this is that kind of player. He doesn't strike me as being that sophisticated. I don't think that it would occur to him to time down with a monster. I believe he really does have a decision here. And he makes the call. So now the pot has been inflated with 8,300 in the middle. The river is the king of clubs for a final board of ace of diamonds, seven of diamonds, deuce of diamonds, five of spades, king of clubs. So, unless he already had a flush, he didn't get one. And he checks to me once more. To value bet or not to value bet? Well, I believe that because our opponent is a loose passive calling station type and because he has shown exactly zero strength, I'm not worried about a flush, about being beat here. I'm not worried about anything, guys. I'm going to go ahead and try to get full value for my hand. Now against a tougher opponent, against anyone who really has a clue about no limit hold'em, I'm never betting ace-jack again on this board. You just can't get called. They're going to fold every time when they just have one pair. So you can only get called by worse when your opponents are good. But because my opponent is a loose, passive, recreational calling station type, I'm going for max value. I'm trying to get action from a worse ace. And I put in 3,800 into the 8,300 pot. And my opponent calls and wins the pot with ace of clubs, queen of spades. So (laughs) this is a win percentage at showdown hand where uh, my win percentage at showdown went down. But the way I look at it, I could just have easily have been the one holding ace-queen, and my opponent would have called just the same with ace-jack. It just turned out that this time he was the one with ace-queen. I think he would play any ace the same way that he played this one. And unfortunately, I ended up taking myself to value town. Notice our opponent did not make a flush, did not have a flush draw, and basically just hung on for dear life, which means that value betting to get called by such a hand is a correct strategy, even though this time it cost me quite a few chips. Well, what happened next? Well, for the next hour to 90 minutes, I basically ran like God. I won a huge pot with pocket kings versus ace king, ace king, and pocket queens. A four-way all-in pre-flop. Uh, with some pretty big stacks, and as a result of that basically gift, I uh, <laughs> I, I managed to, to win that pot somehow. Ace, kings versus Ace-King, Ace-King and Queens uh, won, the best hand won, and then I just had this enormous chip lead, which I continued to use to value bet relentlessly against players that I perceived as being likely to call. So I built a big stack and I had the chip lead on the money bubble. So we were talking a a little while ago about how I play on the bubble. Well, it's even more so when I feel like everyone is feeling that bubble and they're tightening up and they have short stacks. So they just want to squeak into the money. So there's something like 70 players left. If I'm not mistaken, there were... Sixty-three places paid, and so we're down to seventy. The average stack is forty thousand. Uh, the blinds were fifteen hundred and three thousand with a four hundred ante, and the the bubble has been going on for a while. It seems like a lot of folding going on, and so uh, we have a few eighty thousand stacks at my table and a few twenty thousand stacks which are in the big which in the small and big blind right now there's one 140,000 stack and then there's my stack which is the biggest in the tournament at 245,000. So I have 6 times the average stack and it's bubble time. So the blinds are playing really really tight, okay? They uh have about 20 22 23,000 each. And uh, they want to fold. We're about to get into the money. They just want to hang on and, and manage to cash in this tournament. Like it would be an ICM disaster. Given their chances of winning this tournament or even getting a big score, it would be a kind of a disaster for these players if they don't cash at least. So what they should be doing correctly is folding unless they have a really big premium hand. So two folds to me, and I do something that most of you would never do. I raise, blinds are 1500 3000 I make it 7000 with the jack of diamonds, tray of diamonds. You heard me right. Jack three in third position, and I'm raising. It's really about these two players in the blinds and how likely they are to fold. So that's two players of the remaining five the remaining four, that I don't have to worry about. So I raise it up, and unfortunately, I get called by the only other big stack at the table, the guy with 140,000. Now, he's a pretty decent, loose, aggressive, tournament grinder type. Like he, he knows what he's doing. His ranges are probably all balanced, and you know he's, he's not a bad player. I'll bet he's a, a small to medium winner in tournaments like this one so i'm not happy to be sitting here with jack three out of position against this guy everybody else folds obviously those players in the blinds that i was targeting folded but this is the danger of opening from middle position with a jack three is that there are several players besides the ones you're targeting that might go ahead and and call you but you're never drawing dead before the flop right (laughs) so that's that's one piece of good news And another piece of good news is that I don't really have to go to the felt with jack three, do I? So I have a hand that no one could ever put me on, and I have a big stack, and we're going to play a deep stack uh, hand here. So there's 22,000 in the pot. My opponent has about 135,000 behind, so we're pretty deep. The flop comes ace of diamonds, nine of spades, tray of hearts. So Hero with Jack 3 of Diamonds has bottom pair and a backdoor Jack high flush draw. So I'm out of position first to act. I think obviously this is a great flop for my range. I should have a lot of Ace-X type hands, Ace-Jack, Ace-10 should all be in my range. I probably wouldn't be perceived to have much worse than Ace-10, but if I'm going to have Jack 3, I'm probably going to have any Ace, but they don't necessarily know that. Um, this is a bubble-specific decision that I've made here. So uh, I go ahead and bet 8050 into the 22000 pot, expecting that this small bet will take it down a, a decent amount of time when my opponent doesn't have... He can't really have a draw, ace-nine trade. There's no draw available, rainbow flop. So he's either got an ace or he's going to get stubborn with a nine because, uh, you know, he's on the bubble too. We all are. So... Uh, I make this bet and he calls. So at that point, I put him on an ace that chose not to three bet pre-flop. So he should have something like, I don't know, let's say ace-five suited, maybe ace-jack offsuit, ace-queen offsuit, hands like that. And when he does not have an ace, I think he should have something like nine-eight suited, ten-nine suited, hands like that, that are just going to take one off here and see if I bet again on the turn. So he calls and... The pot is now 38000 The turn is a magical, beautiful tray of clubs. And because I put my opponent on an ace, I think the only play here is for me to check and pretend to give up and let my opponent go ahead and bet. Now, the reason why I don't want to bet again is because he might not have an ace, and I don't want to bet and lose him when he has a 9. But if he has something like 9-8, 10-9, those type of hands. Might feel like they should bet when I check the turn. And then I can trap them for one more bet. I don't think there's any scenario when I can stack my opponent. We're just too deep. So I'm trying to make the play that I think will be the most likely to make some more money. So I check, hoping to get another little bet out of him. And into 38,000 he bets. 20,500. The decision point of this hand. Like my opponent only has about 82,000 behind at this point after he bets. He bets, and he actually bets 20,500 here into 38K. So I'm worried that if I just slow play here, uh, he won't go for value. Remember, it's the bubble. So he might not go for value here on the river. But because I've been running this table over and because he, along with everyone else, is getting sick of being run over by this big stack bully on the bubble, then I think he might get more stubborn if I check raise here. He'll say, you don't have a three. How can you have a three and call me with a hand like ace ten? So that's what I'm going for here. And I feel like that's more likely if I just check shove now rather than check the turn and then lead the river. So I'm going for the big check raise here, trying to get all the marbles and uh, it doesn't make sense. My hand makes no sense. And what's fun about playing a hand that you should never have, having that hand and having it turn into something that no one could ever possibly put you on, uh, that's kind of the fun of playing these bubbles. And I live for these bubbles. This is where I make most of the money that I make in tournaments is on the bubble. So I go for the big check raise here. My opponent thinks for a long time, time bank, tick, 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 tick. I'm thinking, please call, please call, please call. I'm almost sure he had an ace, but he did find that fold. So we won another big pot there with the Jack Trey. And then shortly after the bubble burst and we had a huge, huge, and I mean huge chip lead. I think we had three times the stack of the player in second place. So from there... It looked very likely that I would make the final table and have a decent shot of winning the tournament, which we now know I did. So I hope that you tuned in this week, hoping to hear some good news. I think all three of these hands were interesting. But who cares what I think? Let me know what you think. Tweet me, at Clayton Comic. If you're a fan of the podcast, do us a favor. Go on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, Stitcher. Wherever else you find your podcast, and wherever you download and listen to your podcast, and leave us a review. Just let us know what you think. We're working very hard to try to bring you this content each and every week. And, you know, the, the positive feedback that I'm getting from so many of you is really what's keeping me going. So please continue to support us in that way. Uh, we're not asking for money. We're not asking for donations. I love retweets, and I love good reviews. So rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff that every single podcast wants you to do. is very important to us as we try each and every day to increase the visibility of the TPE podcast. So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
0: Hold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me I love Lock and in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart